was out of her mind. She said, boy, this kind of praying is what saved my life. don't believe in fairy tales. I guess I've outgrown them. But that doesn't mean that I don't believe that there's something bigger than me. Because I've seen in a hospital room when the doctor said sorry. There's nothing more we can do. Well, it wasn't through. I've never seen a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow but I've got a promise I can hold in the middle of the struggle God if you said you'll perform may not be how I want you to but here's what I'll do I'm gonna wait on you I'm gonna wait on you I've tasted your goodness. I'm trusting your promise. I'm gonna wait on you. Yes, I'm gonna wait on you. Yeah. I've tasted your goodness. I'm trusting your promise. I'm gonna wait on you. Yes, I will. Yes, I will. In my ears. I know you order every step. Yeah, you're gonna tap it so hard. Oh yeah. One, two.
to see the heaven man, Christ the great and sure fulfillment of the It is a joy to be able to get together and sing together and hear from God's word. My voice is like a half octave lower than normal, so bear with me. The season's changing. is It's all up in here right now, um, but I'm so glad to be able to join with you this morning. <clears throat> Would you stand with us? We're going to hear from God's word. By the way, my name is Jay. If you're new here, I'm the director of worship. Um, we're going to hear from God's word. <clears throat> from Psalm 34, the first eight verses as our call to worship. Listen to these words as we begin our time together. <clears throat> I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. 
The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Let's pray together. O God, our refuge and strength, our ever-present help in trouble, we come to you reminded by this passage to give you praise and to sing to you continually. God, this passage reminds us that you draw near to those who draw near to you, that you are a good God, So, God, we thank you for your goodness toward us. May we, through each part of this service, taste and see that you, Lord, are good. We cry out, asking for your help, because we cannot worship you in spirit and in truth on our own. So would your Holy Spirit meet us here today? God, would you renew our hearts and minds to understand the extent of your love for us in Christ. And may we respond with praise and love and adoration for you, O God. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Let's sing together. our hope in life and death Christ alone Christ alone what is our only confidence that our souls to him belong who holds our days within his hand and comes apart from his command what will keep us to the end? The love of Christ in which we stand. Oh, sing hallelujah. Our hope springs eternal. Oh, sing hallelujah. Now. To the shore, the rock of Christ. 
like chandeliers numbered every grain of sand knows the heart of every man he is king forever he is king forever he is king forevermore sing God our fortune and our strength, the rock on which we can depend, matchless in his majesty, his power and authority, unshaken by the schemes of man, never changing great Kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. He is faithful through it all. Crown him king forever. Crown him king forever. Crown him king forevermore.
forsaken by a traitor's kiss the curse of sin and centuries did pierce the lowly prince of peace lifted high the sinless man crucified the spotless lamb buried by the sons of man but he was rescued by the father's hand to reign as king forever reign as king forever reign as king forevermore eternal god of grace we crown you with the highest praise heaven shouts and saints adore your holy
I tread the verge of Jordan. When I tread the verge of Jordan, bid my anxious fears subside. Of death and hell's destruction, lend me safe or gain inside. Songs of praises I will This is your prayer. Let's sing this out. Let me safe on Canaan's side. Bid my anxious fears, bid my anxious fears. Let me safe on Canaan's side. Bid my anxious fears, bid my anxious fears. Let me safe on Canaan's side. Bid my anxious fears, bid my anxious fears, let me safe on Canaan's side. City Church. My name is Chipper. I'm one of the pastors here. We are a church aspiring to be an authentic community, walking with God in our city. It is beautiful to be with you, uh, especially if you're new uh, in the last few weeks or months. Praise God that you're here. Uh, happy homecoming weekend. We actually have a couple spe- uh, special guests that we're going to be hearing from in light of this homecoming weekend. Happy homecoming weekend. It's actually very biblical to mark things annually, and for the people of God, it's a special space, not only just to celebrate and have a good time, but to remember God's faithfulness to us and to our church family. We would love to get to know you, and we do that in a few ways. Number one, you have a connection card in your bulletin. We give you a bulletin when you walk in. There's a connection card in there. Please consider putting some prayer requests on there. We love praying for you. We really do. Um, So put your prayer request, you can put your name on it, you can make it anonymous, however you want to do it, and then put it in the seat pocket in front of you, we'll come and pick those up after the service. There's also a virtual way to do that, you can go to citychurchgmv.com slash connection and fill out that same card on your phone. Again, we would love to hear from you, and there are ways in which 
Uh, you can use that card to indicate interest in the life of our church to ask us questions. We're very responsive to these cards, so take advantage of them. We worship a generous God. Part of our responsive worship as the people of God is giving generously. You can give online, citychurchdmv.com slash give, or there's also a brown box with some envelopes and pens in the back of our sanctuary. I want to say a couple of thank yous. We had, for the first time, uh, a homecoming tailgate, an opportunity for our church family to gather together and invite some alumni, people that used to go to City Church that have moved to come back and join us. This was the first social gathering that we've had of that kind since the pandemic, actually. It was really sweet being together. Uh, special thanks to the Szymanskis for using their beautiful home and property. Um, and also thank you to Christine and Tyler, who did a really outstanding job putting that together. So I want to say thank you. Yes, clap for them. If you've never been to the Samansky residence before, don't miss the next one. How about that? It is a really beautiful place. We had beautiful weather yesterday morning. That is certainly a grace from the Lord. A few things I want to let you know about. Number one, um, we still have a bunch of adult education things ongoing throughout this semester. We have a, a women's study in the book of Joshua that meets virtually on Monday evenings on Zoom and meets in person 9.30 Tuesday mornings here. It's not too late to jump in, I don't think. We'll just say it's not. Just come do it if you want to do it. 9.30, child care is available. Uh, and then we are continuing, Lord willing, tomorrow night here at 7 o'clock in our series called A Biblical Theology of Marriage. It's eight sessions. We've done the first four. Tomorrow, session five. Jump in. If, you're, if you weren't aware of it, you can come. It's right here. I'm teaching um, through a whole number of things related to marriage and singleness and gender and sexuality. All of the first four sessions are available so we have this thing at City Church called Realm. It's an intranet. So it's how, kind of how we push out information to our church family, and there's an app that goes along with it. All of the recordings um, for the first four sessions, audiovisual um, extravaganzas, if you will, are all available on Realm. So if you haven't been on Realm yet, this would be a great day to get on there. There's uh, people at the hospitality table. There will be at the end of the service with an iPad. They can tell you what we're talking about and say, I want demand to get on Realm, and they will help you do it. And you can have access to those sessions and a whole lot of other delightful things. So I want to mention that. Friday night in this sanctuary, we are having a night uh, of worship. So that will be an hour and a half or so of uh, singing songs together in kind of a special uh, setting. We rearrange the chairs, and it's delightful. Again, this is the first time we've been able to do this since the pandemic. It's been a couple of years, but we're doing it again Friday night at 7 o'clock. Be here. And let me mention that we are, because we love our families along with everybody else in our church, we're doing child care at these now. So if you want to come uh, and you don't mind keeping your kids out a little later than normal, at least for most of you, RSVP, tell us you have kids and you want child care help, and we will provide it. You need to do that by tomorrow, though, so put something on your connection card or email the church, and we'll go ahead and get you uh, hooked up with that. We also are rallying... Um, our church, we partner, we do a mentorship kind of program with Aquin Jones, a school a mile up the road, middle schoolers and high schoolers uh, from across the county that have kind of run into some difficult circumstances and you end up at Aquin Jones and so we're invested in that school. Uh, we do mentorships, if you like, what in the world? Mentorships, weekly mentorships, I would love to do that. Put something on your card and we will help you do that. Uh, however, we're also helping them, they have like a, a resource, um, well, that's not the right word for it, they have kind of like a store that you can get things from uh, when you are successful in your program, and it's a motivational thing, and we are providing some additional things for that store. And we have a list of what we need on that table, on the hospitality table. You can just go there after the service and pick one up. We'll remind you, and I think they're due on Wednesday, I wanna say. So bring them, 
by the church by Wednesday, if, and you can participate in that. It is an honor to invite this morning a couple of guests to the stage. We are going to hear from a couple of our alumni, speaking of homecoming weekend. I told you we were going to do it, and now we're doing it. Uh, Nick and Tyler Karras are here with us this morning, along with um, their three children, and they have been at City, they were at City Church from the very beginning, from the, from the time everything got started, and then they decided to move to Tampa, which is very sad for us, um, but they are here this weekend uh, to tell you a little bit about what the Lord has been doing in their lives, so would you welcome Nick and Tyler. Chipper asked me to say that the first and most important kind of perspective is don't leave Gainesville. It's yeah, a, it's just don't do it. generally a mistake. Because then you have to come back and do this, what um, they're doing over here. Yeah, yeah don't you do to, it. You have to confess your sins. Um, they're in Tampa now. They're at Fishhawk Fellowship, a uh, wonderful church in the Tampa area. Um, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. We would love to hear uh, Nick and Tyler, just a life update. Tell the church kind of when you left. Fess up about oh, that. Gosh. No, but then we would love to hear what has God been doing in your life? Uh, how has he been challenging you, encouraging you in the years since you've made your home in Tampa? So we left in July of 2015, and I took my first real job at the age of 29. Uh, after lots of school, I'm sure some of y'all are in school here, and then a residency, and then a fellowship, and then a real job at the University of South Florida. And... <clears throat> We welcomed our second child. We had the first city church baby, okay? They did. Right here. Austin, she's seven now. And then we had another daughter, and then we had our first son four months ago. Exactly. So that was exciting. And, you know, one of the challenging things was kind of re-getting plugged into community. And so that was kind of a challenge, finding a, a new church home and, and kind of, you know, growing as a family and, and resetting finances and setting new budgets. And um, and then we started fostering a while ago. And, and so we did that for a year. And then we had our son. And we weren't able to keep doing that. And you know, lots of challenging things and growth things and, and um, you know, taking on new roles. And being a professor on a college campus has been a challenge, especially you know, with some opportunities to, to pray with and for people and uh, other things are just kind of going on in society. And so it's just a, a really interesting place uh, and a really interesting time. And, and there are definitely challenges. Do you want to share anything about fostering? Did I do okay? I, yeah. I passed. <laughs> How has your time at City Church continued to matter, even though you're not in our church family. This is a very transient community and therefore a pretty transient church. And so we like to hear about, all right, how did the Lord not just use this church family when you were here, but even? Well, so we were part of the uh, original launch team. And so it was a two-year commitment. And one of the commitments was to tithe regularly. <coughs> and and that's I think that's really important. And when I was d doing my fellowship here, I was not I was not making that much money. You know, they, they don't pay us very well as fellows. But then I took, like I said, my first real job. And let me tell you, it's easier to give money when you have less money than when you have more money. So, um, you know, I, I think, you know, everyone, you know, should give. You know, not everyone's able because there are definitely needs in the church. 
uh, and Chipper did not put me up to this, nope. I'll, I'll promise. Um, but, uh, you know, give as you're able and give joyfully. Uh, and so I think that was definitely something that I, I took from here. And, you know, we have continued down there. And, you know, as we've been generous, uh, the Lord has been even more generous with us. And, and I feel like we have a hedge of protection. Everyone wants one of those around our house now because we had, like, water damage after water damage after water damage. And, like, we were trying to get out of, like, some debts and stuff. And, like, we weren't giving the way we should. And then, like, we started giving more. And, like, I mean, you could say it's a coincidence, but once we started faithfully giving again... The water damage stopped, and we magically had a bathroom reappear that we weren't able to use for, like, months on end because of mold, and then the mold went away. And so, just saying, he healed our land when we were faithful to give. That, it's the way it happened. Um, I wish I, I don't know, that's the way it happened. Um, so I think that was a, a, you know, a really great blessing, kind of learning how to, you know, uh, do church and be faithful with tithes and giving. Um, and I took a couple extra minutes on it here because, you know, where you're, you know, the two things you have are time and money, right? And so, you know, where you invest those things, you know, show me your, your, your checking account and your, in your calendar and I can show you what's important to you. Uh, and so, you know, think about those things because that really was our life in City Church when we were engaged with people, they were engaged with us, we were engaged in community. Uh, and it wasn't just friends that we saw on the weekend, it was you know, the people that we did life with. And that was actually one of the challenging things moving to Tampa Bay is this is a really cool church. And it's like, it's downtown and you have just needs pouring in and an opportunity to meet those needs. And, you know, people engage with each other in authentic ways. And I remember when we first came down here, like a bunch of people met us at our house and unloaded the truck and unpacked the boxes and put everything away. And, you know, there's a story of, you know, child care, you know, materializing magically for the hands when they, you know, welcomed one of their daughters, you know, earlier than expected, and they didn't really know that many people down here. And so, you know, I was talking with Chipper last night, you know, that kind of city church culture hasn't changed. And so when we went to Tampa Bay, it's like, wait, we want to find something like city church. It doesn't exist. <laughs> but and I think, you know, being right in town, it's a, it's a really biblical example, you know, looking around and hearing the stories uh take some if you if you happen to make the mistake we made and leave Gainesville take that with you um you know be judicious and and finding the right church because there are lots of churches so gospel-centered Jesus-centered uh you know you're supposed to be good stewards of your money so even finding a church that you you know I, I if you trust them with the money that you're given right so they should spend it judiciously as well um but then bring that culture of togetherness, of, of a servant heart, and, and you know, even if, if it's, you know, find a good enough place to set down, you know, make it better, uh, kind of with that spirit of being with each other, uh, finding community, and just helping when you see needs come up. I, don't, I wouldn't say that the city church community doesn't exist anywhere else. I feel like we have found it where we live. Um, we found a really good community, and... It's just, it's just harder. You just have to try. You just have to go and find people and be the kind of people that you want in your life to other people. We've, had, <clears throat> we've been through some hard times since we left, and we've just had people just constantly show up for us because we intentionally found the community that we wanted. And, um, yeah, that's really important. You can't, you can't just wait for community to come to you. You have to get involved and, 
and find your people. So. Yeah, I feel like one of the most important things we were talking about last night was the value of not trying to find a community that has some things that you're looking for, but to actually try to just be that and plug in somewhere and invest. And probably the, the hardest spiritual times is when we felt unplugged. Mm-hmm. And you don't wait for other people to plug you in. You mm-hmm. plug you in. Right. What are some, so that's an exhortation. Give us another one. A parting <laughs> exhortation to this, this church family. Uh, so don't leave Gainesville. Right. Uh, you plug you in. Um, be, oh gosh, what was the thing I was talking about last night? I don't remember. I was talking about this. I was, we were ta- ranting. Um, be the church. Be, yeah, go and be the church. Um, and, and take some of this, this community, this vibe with you wherever you go. Um, you know, I was really thrilled because the idea when City Church started here in downtown was to have a vision of meeting neighbors in the community, building relationships, having needs pour into the church and, and, you know, conversional growth where people, you know, hopefully there are people in this room that don't know Jesus that are trying to figure out what that's like. And so, you know, having the opportunity for that to, you know, happen in authentic ways and, uh, you know, I was talking with Chip, I'm like, so that was the idea. Is it happening? Mm-hmm. Um, he's like, yes. And actually, we have more needs than we can actually um, handle. And so, you know, giving and, and helping, um, you know, people in need, I don't know that I've ever regretted doing that, especially when you don't, you know, expect anything in return. Because if you expect something in return, you're not really, you're not really giving. Just don't expect anything in return. Give, uh, give generously of your time and, and your abilities and... And, and, and go do that, and wherever you end up. Yeah, and I'd also put a plug in for foster care. So we fostered for a year, and there is just, if you are able, there's a huge need, especially in Florida. Um, there are just, there are kids coming into care every day. Um, and we were kind of in a situation where we're like, oh, this is a bad time to foster, but there's just, you have to think about the children and not yourself. Like, um, a lot of people say like, oh, I couldn't do that. Like, I couldn't um, have a kid in my home and then let them go. Like, that's that's too hard. But you can't think about how hard it is for you. I mean, these children are coming, are being disrupted from their their home and coming to a stranger's home. It's it's hard for them. It's not, it's not hard for you, you know? So, um, I would just encourage anyone, if you've ever thought about fostering, just look into it. Um, you can be single, you can be married, you can be young, you can be old, you can have children, you cannot have children. Um, anyone can foster. So if you have that on your heart, I would explore it and um, see how you can help or help other foster families because uh, they burn out really fast um, and bring them food. So. Yeah. <laughs> So in, in terms of helping foster parents, sometimes it could be, you know, dropping off a meal, you know, get, again, getting plugged in with your community and finding people that need help. They're out there. Um, respite, care. respite care. Sometimes you don't even technically have to be a licensed foster parent if it's just, you know, a, a longer overnight stay, you know, for a couple days. Um, food, prayer, um, or, you know, sometimes just watching three kids during the day if you can if you have a chance to watch them so that the foster parent can go to court regarding the one child 
because the system's really overwhelmed and even something like that is a big help because the case managers don't all really always know everything that's going on. And so a child's case plan can get set back like six months because the case manager didn't know what was going on and the foster parent couldn't be there to tell the judge what was going on. And so there's lots of little ways to help. Um, and also, you know, the whole foster experience gave me a lot of empathy for the foster parents that are trying in terms of like, because you hear stories of kids getting bounced around from home to home and like, why does this happen? And, and so we've seen from the inside, well, there's like weird things that happen and people come in and out of care and they try to go back with mom and it doesn't work out and other things go on and then they're trying to put them with siblings. So we had kids with us for a couple weeks, but then, okay, well, they're going to be here, but then we're going to try and get them to be with all their siblings there. But then you know, something destructive happens and then they have to get disrupted again and and it's a mess. Um, yeah. So it's a mess. Yeah. And so we're just trying to have more people help. But it's not that scary. Do it. <laughs> and, and honestly, um, if you're not sure, go to an info session. I'll tell you, going to an info session about foster parenting is easier than watching a Sarah McLaughlin commercial about dogs. Mm -hmm. So... It's really just people that are missional and trying to help do something to help kids. And so, you know, go to an info session and just check it out. And, you know, if you decide that it's not for you after you do the info session, that's fine. You can also just ask the people there that, you know, are the, the licensing specialists, you know, what families do you have in this area and how could I help them? Yeah. Thank you guys for being here. Thank you for sharing. Um, praise God. Foster care is something that is it, we haven't seen a ton of so far in the life of our church that so we'd love to see more of. Um, thank you for uh, taking up that mantle and telling us more about it. Can you give them another round of applause? While we reset the stage, I'll let you know that our scripture passage for this morning is from the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1-6. through 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. The passage will be up here on the screen. If you have a Bible, we would encourage you to pull that out and follow along with us. There are these Bibles underneath the seat, so if you want to pick one of those up and use it, we would encourage that as well. And this will be page 167, 1067. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 through 6, page 1067 in those blue Bibles. Let me read this passage for us, remembering that this is God's holy word to us. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are a letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Let's pray together. Speaking of that very spirit that Paul mentions here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, work powerfully among us, O Lord. Encourage us in particular. For those who, who might have gathered with us who are very discouraged and 
just kind of done with it, I pray that you would use this passage very powerfully in their lives in particular. Show them the ways in which you are working in them and through them. For your glory, for their good, and for the good of those around them. We love you so much, Lord. We thank you for Nick and Tyler and their presence here with us this morning and your ongoing faithfulness to our church. We love you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm generalizing a bit, but as I've seen it in the past really six to eight months or so, I feel like we're living in this age of Christian discouragement, of Christian discouragement. Some of it is related to the circumstances of the pandemic, in which for a very long time we were really not meeting in person or meeting very differently than we are accustomed to, and there is a lot of sadness and grief continues to be as time has gone on. Some of this is related to political and racial circumstances that we we seem to not be able to kind of figure out despite ongoing discussions and so forth and seeing Christians that we love and respect take very different views on some of these matters, which is disorienting. We've seen story, it seems like especially in the last year or so, we've seen story after story of, of Christian leaders just blowing it. I mean, I mean, sky high. It's felt relentless. And it's discouraging. There seems to be almost this, this reckoning going on. And that was all before July, when Christianity Today published the podcast that many people have been listening to called The Rise and Fall. Of Mars Hill, there is much to learn, but at the end of the day, it's, you know, a dozen or so episodes about a leader in a church failing. So we've been living, I think, in this age of, of Christian discouragement. And people are asking, is God really at work in me and through me and around me? Is, is anything really going on? Are there lights on in the living room? Am I getting anywhere personally? Is God using me to establish his kingdom? And I think part of this is because our contemporary challenges, they, they feel, especially in our lifetimes, especially if you're in you know, maybe your 20s and 30s, they, they feel huge. The challenges out there just feel, they feel enormous. A lot of people accordingly feel kind of useless. Big challenges, they, they challenge the, the you-can-change-the-world narrative, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, since I don't think that narrative is particularly biblical, but it's hard. It's discouraging. But the primary reason for our discouragement is actually not our external circumstances. That's the convenient answer, and yet it's the wrong answer. First, the primary reason for spiritual discouragement among Christians is underappreciating and underdetecting the work of the Holy Spirit. That's my claim. When we're in the spiritual dumps, 
we probably have a very low view of what the Spirit of God is doing in us and through us, both individually and corporately. And here's my second claim. He didn't think there would be two claims. And yet, here we are, second claim. I believe that the primary reason for spiritual pride among Christians, where it exists, is underappreciating and underdetecting the work of the Holy Spirit. In other words, when we're on our spiritual high horses, it means we have a very low view of what the Spirit is doing in us and through us, both individually and corporately. So, so in the first case, if we're discouraged, it's like we're, we're moping around at the playground because we can't reach the monkey bars, even though there's a parent right behind us who wants to give us a boost. And in the second case, when we're prideful, it's like we're, we're strutting around the playground like an Olympic champion because we did the monkey bars, even though a parent held us up the entire time. Neither one of these postures is spiritually healthy. And so we need to rediscover the ministry of the Holy Spirit, who is the third person of the divine triune Godhead, co-equal and co-eternal with the Father and the Son, who lives in every single follower of Jesus, people who have repented of their sin, of their idolatry, and put their hope in Christ. Notice that I am intentionally saying, rediscover the Spirit, not find the Spirit, mainly because the Holy Spirit isn't hiding. This is not a game of sardines. This is not peekaboo. He's right out there, and so the goal here is to open our eyes and see it. To see him. Two reflections this morning. As the Apostle Paul shows us the Spirit in a way that it refreshes the discouraged. It knocks the navel gazers down a couple of pegs. And it completely transforms the way that we think about ministry. Reflection number one. Spirit-driven credentials. And then reflection number two. Spirit-driven Sufficiency. What is the nature of spirit-driven ministry? Well, number one, we have spirit-driven credentials, and then number two, spirit-driven sufficiency. Let's begin with this first reflection. Spirit-driven ministry means we have spirit-driven credentials. In case you have missed the first few messages in our 2 Corinthians series, here's what you need to know. The Apostle Paul, the author of 2 Corinthians, started the church... In Corinth, you can read about this in Acts chapter 18, as well as many other churches around the Mediterranean basin. Prolific church planter, church starter. However, the Corinthians eventually became skeptical of and even opposed to Paul's ministry and apostolic authority. And the reasons for their skepticism had to do with Paul's rather unimpressive presence as an apostle, physically and rhetorically. He just wasn't very much on either side. His ongoing afflictions, and people tied that, well, you know, God's favor, how can it be upon you if you're experiencing all this junk in your life? And it was related to the Corinthians' desire to undermine his spiritual authority so that they could pursue lifestyles that were spiritually and morally out of sync with what Paul was teaching. And Paul eventually challenged their skepticism in this very severe corrective letter, and many of them repented. But here in 2 Corinthians, which he wrote 
after that corrective letter, and after he received news from his buddy Titus about their repentance, we can tell that the the consequences, the atmosphere of their opposition continues. It's, It's lingering a little bit. So Paul found it necessary to continue defending his ministerial credentials. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all, and you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Paul was concerned that the Corinthians still had this excessively human-centered view of ministerial legitimacy and authority, a view that fostered their ongoing zeal for letters of recommendation, which is probably a triggering thought for a whole lot of you given our academic context. And these letters were pretty much what they sound like. They were opportunities for churches or apostles to say to other churches or apostles, hey, this guy who's coming your way to do ministry, he's legit. I can vouch for that. So so receive him with joyful hospitality. And there was nothing wrong with those letters per se. In certain circumstances, they could be very useful, and Paul even wrote some of these letters himself. But these letters could become, they could become, an excessively important part of evaluating ministerial legitimacy by prioritizing human prowess and reputation above any evidence of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's work and the life of an apostle and the people under the apostle's care. Do you want an example of that? Oh, look, here's one right here, and this example will probably make you really mad. When Paul made his second visit to Corinth, the one that went really poorly and necessitated this this corrective letter that he ended up writing, apparently one of Paul's opponents criticized him, among other things, for not having a letter of recommendation. Other spiritual leaders had started to spend time with the Corinthians, some of them super shady, and this is hinted at in chapter 2, and we'll get back to that later. And we already know that they were more impressive in a physical and rhetorical sense than Paul. Now it's also implied that they had these letters of wreck with them, at least a lot of them did, whereas Paul did not, thereby intensifying the challenges to Paul's credentials. You know, listen, Paul, all these guys over here, they have letters. Paul, what you got, man? Show us a letter. Give us something. I told you. This was going to make you mad. And you're mad for the reasons that Paul articulates in verses 1 through 3. Corinthians, why in the world would I need a letter from you of all people? My goodness. I I planted, I started the darn church. So you yourselves are my letter. A letter written on my heart that anyone can know and read. Remember how you didn't really have a church, but then I came and ministered among you and preached the gospel, and now by the power of the Spirit 
of the living God, you do have a church? And you've been growing spiritually and, and people have been coming to know the Lord. Remember all of that? That's my letter. That's my letter, which is better than anything someone could write about me. Anyone can get a letter of wreck. You know how easy it is to get that. Anyone can write one of those. But only the Spirit of God can do the kinds of supernatural things that are happening in you and among you. So the logic of verses 2 through 3 is this. It's a little technical, but follow with me. Jesus Christ himself sends Paul's letter of wreck by using Paul to scatter gospel seed and effecting spiritual redemption and renewal in the Corinthians by the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. And then that same spirit impresses the fruitfulness of this ministry upon Paul's own heart in a way that encourages him personally. And then the Spirit uses Paul's ministry fruitfulness to provide this very compelling testimony, a a sort of letter about Paul's spiritual credentials to those who encounter him. The Anglican priest and theologian C.F.D. Mole puts it like this, Paul's credentials weren't on paper, they were in persons. They were in persons, transformed persons, being changed by the power of of the Holy Spirit. Church, I am concerned that when it comes to evaluating someone's legitimacy and effectiveness as a minister of the gospel, including vocational ministers, as well as the rest of us who minister more informally in the body of Christ, I am increasingly concerned that we are captivated by the wrong metrics. We're captivated by very specific ministry skills, rhetorically and musically and so forth. We are captivated by personality traits like natural charisma and empathic presence. We're captivated by physical appearance. We're captivated by academic degrees. We're captivated by YouTube views and book sales. We're captivated by relational popularity. We are captivated by things that would have caused us to be rather dismissive of the Apostle Paul had he lived in our day. And conversely, I'm concerned that we're rather unimpressed with the spirit-driven metrics that the Apostle Paul makes a very big deal about here in chapter 3. Like, what's happening to the people we're investing in spiritually? I mean, are these people growing in Christ? Even if it's, if it's super slow, even if it's like a snail's pace, are, are people growing? Is it evident that the Spirit is at work, producing the kind of fruit that Paul talks about in Galatians chapter 5? You know, love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You might say, Chipper, well, what's, what's the big deal with this, with this metrics problem? You're getting kind of technical here. I see three issues, big issues. Number one, when we don't have our metrics right, we end up showing excessive honor to some people, usually the ones with impressive platforms in a worldly sense. 
That's a huge problem. And by the way, that puffs them up in a, in a spiritually very dangerous way. Number two, we fail to show honor to other people, to the, to the regular people who are out there doing remarkably faithful ministry, and people are growing and even thriving. Here's a, Romans chapter 12 tells us that followers of Jesus should be showing honor. To each, we should be outdoing one another and showing honor. So I'm going to show honor to somebody. Just to give you an example of the kind of thing that Paul would say, hey, here's some people that you should pay attention to and, and follow. Here, here's, where, here's some folks where the metrics are looking really good. So when we were getting, when my wife and I were probably halfway through, I was halfway through seminary, we were living in Chicago, we ended up spending a whole lot of time with people we never thought we would spend time with. The, the husband and wife um, lived like a half a block or a block or so from us, and, and the husband was a really well-regarded ophthalmologist, and they were part of our church. And they started just inviting us into their home all of the time and pouring into us. They had, check this, I didn't know this was a thing. This is Chicago now. They had installed heating elements underneath their hardwood floor. So you would walk into their house and it would be warm on your feet. You take your shoes off, warm feet. It's like, okay, well, God, there is a God because he's doing this. So Norman and George Blair, they would, they would just have us over to their house all of the time. And there wasn't like this formal agenda. They would just have meals with us and you know, Norman Joy would say, hey, this is what I've been reading in my devotional time. This is what the Lord is teaching me. Let's just talk about it. What are you reading? What are you getting? Let's talk about that. And they just did this faithfully for a year and a half. And, and to be honest with you, they're still doing it. And if my wife and I are growing at all in Christ Jesus, it is because of the ministry of people like Norman Joy. And you will never hear about them other than right now. So when we prioritize the wrong metric, we fail to show honor to people we should be showing honor to, people like Norm and Joy Blair. And here's the third problem. When we have our metrics wrong, we create this credentialing process that will discourage the stuffing out of you personally. When we pay excessive attention to the big stuff, to the you know, the flashy stuff, we end up marginalizing the small stuff, which means that you're going to miss the spirit-driven, beautiful stuff that God is doing in you and among you, and you will be unduly discouraged. We only see, I think, about 1% of the things that God is doing among us anyhow, but when you set up this credentialing process, that prizes what the world prizes instead of what Scripture prizes, we're not even going to see the 1%. We're just going to say, God is moving in the people doing the big things with the big platforms. He's not doing anything in me and through me. And you would be completely wrong. Church, God's doing more in you and through you, followers of Jesus, and you realize you're just missing a lot of it. The Spirit of the living God is, is credentialing your ministry. He's at work in the people that you are faithfully ministering to. But very often we can't see it. 
because we're looking for the splashy stuff instead of for the fruit of faithful, spirit-driven, long-haul ministry. But I see God in you, and I want to honor you accordingly. I see people underneath your care growing like the Dickens in Christ. That's what I see. And my prayer this morning is that the Lord would show you things you're missing, and by the power of the Spirit, impress them upon your heart and encourage you in the Lord. That's what my prayer is. And my prayer is that the proud people among us would realize that their personal skillfulness really has nothing to do with the spirit-driven stuff that God's doing through you. At all, really. He could use a rock if he wanted to to do the kind of stuff he's doing in you right now. Jeremy might say, all right, I get it about these, these credentials, but how can I be sure that my labor for the Lord will not be in vain? I just, I know this intellectually, but I feel so inadequate. I have some really good news, and that brings us to our, our second reflection. Spirit-driven ministry involves spirit-driven sufficiency. Not only does the Holy Spirit bolster Paul's ministry credentials, the Spirit bolsters Paul's ministry confidence. You can see this in verses 4 through 6. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything that's coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. In other words, Corinthians, even though I'm defending myself a little bit here, it's true that I'm not personally sufficient for any of the ministry that I'm doing. You already know that. In fact, you've criticized me for some of those things. You know how inadequate I am. But I'm still very confident. And here's why I'm confident. Number one, the Spirit has already been doing this work among you. Spirit-driven work among you. He's already been doing it. This is the, the such that Paul is talking about in verse 4. So I know he'll, he'll keep doing it wherever I preach the gospel. But then number two, here's why I'm confident. Despite my inadequacy. The ministry I'm doing is new covenant ministry. So you can see in verse 6, and we'll talk more about this next week. It's ministry. Here's the nature of new covenant ministry. You ready? It's ministry in which the Holy Spirit is convicting people of their sin and then assuring repentant people that their sins are forgiven in Christ Jesus and then giving them new life. It's ministry in which the Holy Spirit is taking the law which was originally written on tablets of stone, verse 3, and writing it on the hearts of those who get this new life and become God's people. Again, we'll talk more about this next week. It's ministry in which the Holy Spirit empowers spiritually inadequate people to start living in conformity to the commandments that the Spirit is writing on their hearts, all of which glorifies God. And leads to their flourishing. Notice who the star of the New Covenant ministry show is? Not us. It's the Holy Spirit of God. Was the Old Covenant, the one defined by the law of Moses, when he, when he famously brought the law down the mountain, was this covenant 
bad. No, but it pointed to the need for a new covenant because the law was, was powerless to help the folks who couldn't keep it, which turned out to be everybody. It pointed to the need for someone who could bring life, otherwise the law ends up being a killer that brings nothing but condemnation and death to those who fail to keep it. This is the letter that Paul is talking about in verse 6. So the old covenant pointed to someone who would come, who could bring life, and praise be to God that someone came. Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, came to earth and perfectly kept the law that every single one of us fails to keep, dramatically fails to keep. And then for our sake, Jesus became sin, though he himself knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In doing so, Jesus went to the cross and he died this torturous death. But then he rose again and he ascended into the presence of the Father, establishing the very foundation for this new covenant ministry we're talking about. And then he joined forces with the Father in sending the Holy Spirit to live among us and to live in us, us being repentant followers of Jesus who have thrown all of their hope upon him. And that's the set of circumstances that we find ourselves right now. We're not apostles in the very formal sense that, that Paul was. We haven't had a, you know, a, that kind of specific encounter with the risen Lord Jesus. We're not going around planting churches. But where every single one of us is a, a new covenant gospel minister in our own right. And I need to tell you, because we're doing this new covenant spirit-driven ministry, you can know for sure that the Spirit of God is at work. Because it's not about you. As Charles Hodge puts it, this the spirit-born work is not a trait of natural character. It's a trait of God's supernatural character. No, you're not adequate. But God is adequate. And the Spirit of God is at work, and he's giving life. He was at work in Paul, and the same Spirit continues to work in you, making you sufficient, verse 6, for gospel ministry, for telling people the good news about the kingdom of God, and then backing that up with love for God and love for our neighbor. Your labor in the Lord will not be in vain. Not because of you, but because of the Spirit. You cannot change the world. Sorry. But the Lord can. He can change the world. And he's working in you, along with this community of believers across the entire globe, to do just that. Emphasis on community. God doesn't so much work through people individually, he works through people corporately. The mission of God is a corporate mission. You can't change the world, but the Lord can. He's working in you with a community of believers across the globe. I gotta tell you, of course, every single one of us has room to grow spiritually as far as our faithfulness of participating in this mission, but he's doing more than you realize in your workplace. He's doing 
more than you realize when you talk with other parents at the park. He's doing more than you realize in the lives of your friends. He's doing more than you realize in the lives of complete strangers that you meet walking around downtown. God is always doing exponentially more in us and through us than we can imagine, not less, because of the Spirit, the supernatural power of the Spirit. And here's what I would encourage you to do this week as you go from here. Since we have such a hard time seeing the evidence of the Spirit's work in our lives, can we please help one another see something? Find obvious ways in which the Holy Spirit is working through somebody you know and tell them about it in a God-oriented way. Not, not, don't puff them up, but say, this is where I'm sure the Spirit of God is working in you and through you. And then show honor to that person. We talked about this in one of our small groups this past week. One of the rhythms that I would like to see our church adopt faithfully in the coming months, in the coming year, is this habit of going to people intentionally and showing honor. Not, not superficial, bland, whatever, puff-up compliments, but Holy Spirit-oriented compliments. God is at work in you, and I want to tell you how I'm seeing that. Not only will you encourage your brothers and sisters in Christ, but you know what you're also going to do? You're going to contradict this culture that we're living in right now of showing dishonor and shredding people for their deficiencies. Let's be a church that shows honor to each other by pointing out the Holy Spirit work that God is doing in the people that we know and love. Amen. Speaking of showing honor, why don't we take a moment to show honor to Jesus through the receiving of this communion meal. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was to be betrayed, he shared a meal with his disciples, and during the meal he took the bread, and he broke it, and he said, this is my body given for you. Do this whenever you eat of it in remembrance of me. In a similar manner, after the meal, Jesus took the cup. As he poured it, he said, this, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. And Paul says, as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. Because he, he rose again and he ascended and he will return. So come, proclaim the death of Christ together. Being confident, by the way, that we're not just waiting for something to happen in a sense. The Spirit of God is at work right now, among us, even in this very place. I hope that he will use this meal not just to give you general reminders, but to actually nourish you and to encourage you in Christ Jesus and to convict you of sin where you need to be convicted so you can repent of it. I'm going to pray for us, then you'll see an elder or a deacon here or here. If you're a follower of Jesus, I would encourage you to come up. We'll each have a basket of communion packets. You can just come after the prayer when you're ready, and we'll drop one in your hand. And then there's also a, a basket of them on the hospitality table in the back that's available as well, and you can eat and drink uh, when you desire. Um, in your seat or up here, pray, whatever you want to do. If you're not a follower of Jesus, we're so glad that you're here. Praise God for your presence. Um, and we would encourage you, instead of taking a meal that you wouldn't say that you believe in, to instead reflect on what we've just been talking about. And I hope it's helpful for you to know that we have nothing for you apart from the power and work of the Holy Spirit.
This isn't a group of impressive people. This is a group of unimpressive people, um, maybe doing impressive things by the grace of God. So you can be a part of it. Unless you're impressive, then you don't fit in. Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for this time that you've blessed us with again. I pray that you would, in fact, encourage us as we take this meal and that you would convict us of sin, especially prideful impressiveness and thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought so that we can more clearly see your work in us and around us. We love you, Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
with us. Let's sing together. Keep singing. Who would this morning. Thank you. Sorry, I didn't know where the mic was. <laughs> okay, uh, it's good to see everyone here today, and I need to interrupt this service for a special announcement. Today is Pastors Appreciation Day, and we want to appreciate our pastors and our, our MJ, our, uh, our worship and music leader, so I'm going to ask you to come up to the front here, please. Yes, you're in the front. Come a little closer. Um, these guys, as you know, are gifted. They work hard. Uh, Chipper just dissed all gifted people. So, so whatever. Doesn't mean anything anymore. Um, but they, they work hard. They are under pressure. They do a lot for us. We don't see most of it, and we want to say thank you. We also want to give them a charge, and a lot of what I'm going to say here was in the sermon today, and I'm just reading from Timothy, and this is uh, the Apostle Paul, a 60-something, talking to a young Timothy, a 20 or 30-something, and he said this, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Devote yourselves to the public reading of scripture and to preaching and teaching. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that your progress may be evident to all. 
Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Let's pray for a moment. Thank you, Father, for these three men that you have saved by your grace, brought into your family, justified, sanctified, and all the things that come with knowing Jesus. And then thank you that you have called them to a special ministry, uh, to the founding and growing and building up of City Church. Bless them, guide them. Uh, we thank you for them. In the name of Jesus, amen. And uh, somebody here has a, going to bring a gift? Well, baskets. And then I'm going to end with a general benediction. Um, I, I thought of this before, but Chipper already quoted it twice. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, because you know your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Uh, let's all thank God together. Amen. Hallelujah. Stay